0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark, Glory to you, Lord Christ. when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly. people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, Little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was twelve years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. Lord
1: In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Amen. One of the things that I try to do every summer is to step back and take a look at how I'm doing in life and especially in my work. When I was in the Air Force, it was never too difficult for me to make a pretty clear distinction between my work life and my personal life. They were very clearly delineated, sometimes because I couldn't even take things home to work on because they were classified. But that's not the case when you're a minister. This life of ministry is a melding, it seems, of the professional and the personal. And sometimes it's very hard for me to get a hold of my time, to set proper boundaries, and to think about what are the things that are really important. What should I be focusing on? Where should should I be spending this precious time? I'm sure a number of you have consulted the time management gurus. There are plenty of them. Thousands upon thousands of books sold for people like me who are neurotic about time. (laughs) But it seems that that all of them have one thing in common, and that is to suggest that we should get control of the interruptions in our life. Some of them go so far, it's almost like a straitjacket. You have a time to do your email, a time to do the snail mail, a time that you're going to see people, time to be with the staff, time to go on visits. All of that clearly delineated in your calendar, and God help anyone who interferes with that or interrupts you. Well, the truth is that our lives, it seems, are filled with interruption. And in ministry, I have found that often it is the interruptions, that are the moments when God is speaking to me the most clearly and the moments when God is calling me into another kind of service or simply to be present with someone to hear them out. It's encouraging to me uh, to hear in this gospel account Jesus being interrupted. Uh, We need to think about the fact that he had just crossed over from the uh, Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee. And as we know from last week's reading, there was a terrible storm. Everybody got excited. Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat. But there must have been an awful lot of chaos in that night. So one can imagine that as they reach the shore and come to Capernaum, Jesus had a lot of things he may have thought he was going to do that day. But he got interrupted. I also want you to, to get a sense of the chaos that's going on around Jesus. I think that my image of the life of Jesus is probably uh, based on a flannel board description of what his life was when I was in Sunday school. And it's very hard for me to get away from that. I I often think of him as having this living in this sort of bubble where everything is perfect, where there are no bad things happening, where people don't argue and and have conflict with one another, where everything seems to work out just fine. I want you to get, it, to get a sense of the chaos in Jesus' life on this one day. He comes ashore, and apparently there's this huge crowd that is there, knowing that he's coming. And Jairus, who is one of the leaders of the synagogue, pleads with him, it says, a number of times, asking him to come and just spend some time with his daughter, hoping that he can heal her. And Jairus says she's at the point of death. Jesus is interrupted decides he needs to go with Jairus to his home and try to heal this child. So they start on their way, and as they're going, there's a woman who has been plagued with hemorrhages for 12 years, and she, on that day, for whatever reason, is intent upon touching Jesus or having Jesus touch her so that she might be healed as well. So there they are, this huge crowd moving along, And Jesus trying to make his way to Jairus' house. And the woman touches his garment. Jesus stops. And if you've talked to people who've been engaged in healing ministry, some will describe the experience they have as those who are administering the prayers and touching the person, praying for the healing, a sense of power that is moving through them. Jesus apparently had that sense. The power, it said in the scripture, was going forth from him. He knew he had been touched. He stopped, turned around and asked the crowd, who touched me? The disciples, of course, always there with the right word at the right time. <laughs> say, you've got to be crazy, Jesus. You're surrounded by people. They're all touching you. How do you ask a question like that? He asks, who touched me? And the woman comes forward knowing that she is the one because now she's healed and she falls before him. And tells him about her life And about what's happened to her In the meantime Jesus hears another conversation going on In another part of this crowd They've come to say that the the daughter of Jairus has died Don't bother the master With any more questions Or with taking him up to see Jairus' daughter She's dead Jesus hears it And he says to Jairus Don't be afraid Have faith And he proceeds on with a few of the disciples and they come to Jairus's house. And as they get there, they find another crowd wailing and crying. These are the hired mourners, the ones who are looking perhaps to make a dime that day by being there to wail on behalf of Jairus and his family. And Jesus says, I need to go in. He needs to get through the crowd and they laugh at him. But he forces his way through, gets into the daughter's bed. Reaches out and touches her and tells her to get up. And she gets up. And then one of the most amazing things I think that we see in Scripture. In the midst of all of that, Jesus says, give her something to eat. He's caring for her immediate need. She's been through all of this sickness. Give her something to sustain her. But well, there's so much in this passage. There is so much for us to gain from it, I think. But there are two things in particular that I want to hold up before you. The first is the importance of interruptions. It happened to Jesus, and it perhaps happens to you, maybe even more than you realize. I've heard it said that, you know, where where your gifts and your interests intersect With the needs of the world. That is where God is calling you. I think that is one way of understanding how God calls us. But I think that in the mundane aspects of our life. God is calling us to action. Through the interruptions that come into our life. Perhaps you've experienced it. You know you've just gotten home and settled down. And all of a sudden the phone rings. You don't want that interruption. You've had a rough day. Or you're in the midst of a difficult day and someone comes and knocks on the door. Another interruption. But we need to see it, I think, from the side of the one who is knocking. The side of the one who is calling. If we think about Jairus and this afflicted woman, they were desperate. They were so desperate that they were willing to do things that they never thought they would ever do. And I think that often people find themselves so desperate that in a moment they realize I can do this. I can make that phone call. I can go see this person. I have to do it now. And we're on the receiving end of that. And I think we need to open ourselves to the possibility that it is one of God's holy interruptions. I think there's a second thing that's important for us to see. And that is that. Pride, for many of us, gets in the way of our spiritual growth. In fact, I think it's probably one of the primary reasons that we have trouble growing spiritually. We have to set our pride aside, like Jairus. Jairus was a leader in the temple. And this was at a time when Jesus' ministry was growing and the crowds were growing. And there were those who were very concerned about the motives of Jesus and about what Jesus was doing. And Jairus, in spite of that, and in spite of being a leader among those who must have been thinking that Jesus was going the wrong direction, was leading the people astray, Jairus was willing to approach Jesus to step out of whatever class he found himself in to join the crowd down at the seashore and to approach Jesus and beg for Jesus to do something. And for the woman, it must have been equally difficult Here was a woman who, because of her ailment, for 12 years, she was outside of society. If anyone touched her, they would become unclean, for she was unclean. And yet, she was willing to risk everything in order to come close to Jesus and be touched by him or touch him. I think that it's also important for us to see that for Jesus, there was risk involved as well. Healing, it seems to me, involves a lot of risk. And for Jesus, the healing, the part that he played in that involved risk as well, because as he touched the woman, or as she touched him, he in that moment became unclean. And as he went to Jairus's daughter's bedside, as he touched her, he became unclean, because at that point, everyone thought she was a corpse, and it was corpses were unclean. Anyone who touched them became unclean. Jesus sets all of that aside and he risks being looked upon as someone who is unclean in order to offer healing and wholeness. I believe for all of us, there are moments in our lives when we come to that point and we say nothing else matters. I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to reach out and ask for help. And I think we see that both in Jairus and in the afflicted woman. Today, we have the great blessing of baptizing three babies. And whenever I see a baptism of young children or babies, I'm reminded of the fact that they are the ones who are an example to us of how we're to come to God. I was in a church uh, a number of years ago now where there was a, a little girl who was, Always, uh, everyone knew she was there. She made her presence known, no matter what the occasion. And I used to wonder, what is it that if we believe that all of us are an aspect of God, an expression of God and God's love, and if all of us have some place in the church, something to offer, what does she have to offer us? I asked that of the congregation one day. What is it that she offers us? What is it that these babies offer us? I think that they are a reminder to us that we are to come before God humbly and simply present ourselves to receive the grace of God that is poured out upon us. And I give thanks today that we have these three to receive baptism, but also to express that ministry to us. The reminder that we must set aside our pride. We must welcome the interruptions. We must simply offer ourselves as we are. And for that I give God thanks and praise. Amen.